Welcome, everyone, to East West Draftcast. We know you missed us. This is Jeff here, one of your hosts. Uh, we have a special co-host today, third place finisher at Grand Prix Philadelphia, Greg Smith. Hey, how is it special? I'm always the host. But you're not always a top eight GP player. This is true. Most of the time you are, but not always. <laughs> But uh, I wanted to lead the podcast off on that because we'll be talking about that a lot. And I'm really proud of my co-host because he's awesome. And yeah, it's just cool. So everybody give it up for Greg at wherever you're listening to this. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, hold on. They're still clapping. Oh, they're still still applauding me? They are. Uh, anyway, we got some pick-a-card lists. Uh, we got some GP talk and some just general Return to Ravnica talk. Um, what do you want to start with, Greg? Give me a pick a card list. Ooh, let's, let's start it off right. All right, these are um some uncommon lists. Uh, both are all uncommons. The first one we'll do the the uh, the grab bag one here. So we will start out this one with Azorius Justiciar versus Thoughtflare. Justiciar is the dude who detains two creatures. Yeah, he's a 2-2 two, two for four. Okay, and Thought Flare is draw four, discard two. Yeah, also known as just draw four. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty tough one. I like both those cards. I'm going to take the Thought Flare, just because I don't think... like it's, it's not too difficult to get four drops in this format, whereas yeah. like a card that can just draw you four cards is... That's a very, like, there's only one card in the format that does that, and it's Thought Flare. So that's the card I would take. Yeah, I I think I agree with that pick. Also partially because of color preference. Um, the I don't know. I, I've been, I have a lot more fun with, like, uh, well, Is It is actually, I think, my favorite guild currently. But, um, but just in general with the blue decks, the Dirtle. Or I guess, or the five color decks that turtle more like, but you know. Right. All right. So Thought Flare versus Liev Sky Knight. Ooh, the three one detain any non land. That's right, and he flies for only three mana. Yeah, I'm gonna take the Sky Knight. That guy's just so efficient. Yeah, he's he's a powerful, powerful creature. Uh, I think uh, I personally would probably take the Thought Flare, but I would know that I am taking the less powerful card, but it's pretty much because, I don't know, I haven't liked blue-white, but I think we'll talk about that later, right, Greg? Yeah, I'm actually coming around on blue-white, in draft at least. I don't like it very much in sealed, but I think it's very good if you know how to draft it. Uh, what's next? Next, the Lie of Sky Knight versus Rites of Reaping. Uh, Sky Knight... Not close. Okay, so you're, the rights of reaping is not the two for one you're looking for. No, I don't think that card's actually very good. Like sorcery speed is just bad for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, strangely enough, I did run a copy in the top eight of the GP, but that was mostly just because I was very light on removal and because I had a wild uh, beastmaster in my deck, and I needed more ways to pump that guy and, and try to bash through with him. Not that I ever got to do it, but that was the plan, at least. Did you ever cast him? 
Not in the top eight. I had him in my second draft or my first draft deck of day two, mm-hmm. and he led to a lot of game wins. I, th- I might have even had him on day one. I can't remember. I'm going to see if I can figure that out. Yeah. Keep going while I look that up. What's next? All right. Keep it on the Sky Knight. Uh, I, by the way, also think that's probably correct, and I would stick with Thoughtflare there. And we are going versus Soul Sworn Spirit. Kind of similar to the Sky Knight. Yeah, I'd still rather have the Sky Knight. Unblockable is a little bit better than flying on offense, but it's a lot worse on defense. Not to mention the fact that it's three power versus two power for one less mana in the Sky Knight. I just think that card's better. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're a little closer because of the fact that it's one color versus two color, but I don't know. I, the Spirit is definitely best probably with white anyway so yeah, yeah. he's pretty decent in the is it deck as well just because that deck will take any means of kind of sneaking through damage whether it's like unblockable dudes or flyers or sure. you know mm-hmm. next card sky knight versus assassin's strike uh, i'm still gonna take the sky knight i like the assassin's strike more than i like rights of reaping yeah but that's mostly just because it's unconditional. It's just you point it at a creature and that creature dies mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, the discard I found to be somewhat relevant as well, but I think it's just like six mana for a spell like that is just a lot. I'd rather have the efficient three power flyer. I see. I would take the strike there. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, Sky Knight, really powerful card. Uh, I like black cards more than blue-white cards myself. So, uh, But I also really like the decks that sit behind Trestle Trolls and then get a bunch of value off big spells like that. See, I don't like that deck. Uh, that's that's a fun deck to me. But it, it is. I think it's fun to play. I just don't think it's very good. Uh, I think it's good. All right. Well, we'll see about that. Yeah, I, I mean... <laughs> In general, like my default in Return to Ravnica Limited is I want to be beating down. Archetypes that support that the best are Rakto, Selesnya, and White Blue. And and blue red. Like black green is the worst at that, and that's because of that it's just my probably my the most least or the least desirable guild for me to be playing, based upon yeah. like my tendency to want to just be attacking mm-hmm. from the onset of the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much only like black green if I have multiple trestle trolls because it's like my favorite card in the set. But yeah, I think that that card can be kind of a liability against stab wound too, and I don't like cards like that. There are there are a few of them. Yeah. The towering Indirect and the trestle troll and an unleashed uh, what do you want to call it? Like splatter thug or unleashed thrill kill assassin. That's the worst. You unleash that and they stab wound it. You're like, okay, I have an O one that can't block. And deals me two damage every turn. Pray, pray, just pray out. to God you draw a launch party. Yeah, really. But that is a good uh, point there with the launch party is uh, really good for the stab wounding. Yeah, that card I've been more and more impressed with uh, as we played the format more. I think that it's just a, a card I'll run at least two copies of in all my black decks. Yeah, two copies, huh? Yeah, I mean, I mean. Obviously, there are cases where it's not correct to do that, but I, I just like that card a lot. I think it's very good. All right, next we have Sky Knight still versus Syncopate. See, that's a little closer for me. 
especially then like the last two cards. I still think I'll take the dude. Because, uh, again, like, my tendency to want to be attacking all the time means that I often want to tap out on my own turn to play another threat or okay. to play a pump spell or something like that. And with that in mind, I'd just rather have an, uh, the dude over a counterspell that requires me to leave up mana on my opponent's turn, even if it is efficient. Like, I only have to leave up maybe one or two mana, or two or three mana, I should say. <laughs> one mana syncopate. You, yeah. you can still get somebody who's really dumb. Got him. <laughs> Will you pay zero? No. no I refuse. <laughs> I won't do it. You can't uh, make me. Um, I I actually, I think I'd take Syncopate there. I've really enjoyed Syncopate so far. It sounds like you just really want to dirtle in this format. Holy shit, do I. And it's not, it's not really correct to do, but it's so much more fun. See, I have fun playing aggro. That's like, any format that supports aggressive decks is a format I tend to like. Like, back in Zendikar, everyone was like, oh, this format sucks. I was like, what are you talking about? I get to bash face with two drops all day. This is great. Yeah. No. I mean, I like that to an extent. It gets a lot more boring to me quickly. Yeah, it can dry up a little bit. I think this format goes a lot deeper than Zendikar did, and I don't think it is as aggressive overall. I'm just saying in general, like, the kind of decks I like to play in this format would lead me to take a card like Sky Knight over a card like Syncopate. Well, I got some heavy hitters at the end here. Uh-oh. I think I, I, think I know what your pick is going to be. I put it last, but uh, I got two more here. So All we right. got uh, the Sky Knight versus Golgari Guildmage. It's not actually called Golgari Guildmage, right? It's something oh, else. That's right. That's the old Guildmage. Yeah. <laughs> from real Ravnica. Uh, yeah, it's the... Um, Car- Carosda Guildmage? Yeah, Carosda. That's, the one. that's tough. I think that that Guildmage is very good. But I still think I'm going to take the Sky Knight. I, I'd like the Guild Mage, but like a lot of the other Guild Mages, he is kind of slow. And if there's one thing I haven't hammered home enough in this pick card list, it's that I don't really want to be doing slow things. Although I, I do think that card is very good, and it's probably... I can't remember. Yeah, it's probably my second favorite card on the list so far. I mm-hmm. still think I'd take the Sky Knight over it. And that has a lot to do with color preference. Okay. If if you had to put a million dollars on whether or not I would take Guild Mage, what would you pick, Greg? Oh, you're taking the Guild Mage. Of course I am. That card is so awesome, and it fixes the problem with Stab Wound so well. Yeah, another sacrifice outlet. Of course, they're just going to target it, but you know, whatever. Uh, all right, last card, Greg. Okay. Uh, Sky Knight versus Hellhole Flailer. Ooh, yeah, I'm I'm going to take the Flailer. Yeah, uh, I, I I do think that that's pretty close too, and yeah. it probably just depends on what deck I'd rather be playing in a particular draft. The flailer is kind of awkward if you don't get off to a fast start. Yeah, in the sense that like, oftentimes you if like you don't play anything on turn two or on turn two or turn three, and maybe you draw like a hellhole flailer and you play it on turn four. If your opponent has a centaur token, oftentimes they'll just be like, all right, put my centaur in front of your 4-3. Do you want to sacrifice it? And like, unless you're winning, you don't want to do that. So, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting card. I think it's well-designed, as are most of the Unleash cards in general. Right. But I, I think that that card is very strong. Just as a, a way to, I don't know, a burn spell almost. Sometimes you just cast it, you Absolutely. don't even need to attack with it if you're far enough ahead. It reminds me a lot of uh, shambling remains. Oh yeah, shards, and that was like not so awesome card, and I 
feel the same way about the flailer. He's he's nutter butters to me. I I think I would off this list the flailer is the top choice for me. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, I just wanted to get your uh, feel for the format with these picks here. I know some of them aren't really that close, but just wanted to see where you landed. Seems yeah. like you land in the uh, attack first, ask questions later. That's how I roll. That is how you roll. Um, do you want to just do the second one right away, or? Yeah, let's 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 uh, just do another one. All right. So this has a caveat. Okay. A stipulation. We'll say it's like pick three or four. Okay. Or something, and you have taken some solid green white cards. So, like, how solid are we talking? Like centaur healer. You're, 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 giant yeah. growth solid or like green white guild mage. And call the conclave yeah. solid. That the the latter. Okay, like so I'm I'm I want to be playing green white for sure. Yes. You're, okay. You're gonna be playing green white. These yeah. Think of these cards in like the idea of either populating or just being green white beat down or whatever you want to do with green white. Okay. Sure. All right. So first pick, brush strider versus dryad militant. Ooh, I would take the brush strider. Okay. I think that the jump from two power to three power is a very big deal. If it was like a, a three, the three one versus like a two, three or a two, two mm-hmm. for two mana or something like that. I think it'd be a lot closer, but the efficiency of the militant as like a one drop doesn't make up for the fact that once like anything with three toughness or three power is just going to be too much for it. Whereas at least the brush strider can trade with a centaur. It can, yeah, I don't know. It just it's 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 an important jump from yeah. two to three. Okay. Uh, now that leads me to the question of, like, I know in uh, Innistrad, like one drops were pretty important for the aggro decks. Uh-huh. Uh Do you think that's maybe not the case in the set because there just aren't that many solid one drops? Yeah, I think two drops are actually more important, mostly because the two drops tend to outclass the one drops for the most part. Right. And, like, when we did our, our set analysis at the beginning of Return to Ravnica, mm-hmm. like, we broke down where all the mana costs were. Like, we noted, we noted that multiple guilds just were kind of lacking on two drops. And it, right. it'll show sometimes in the, in the decks that you draft. Absolutely, yeah. Creatures, the creature curve kind of starts at three for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, I, I kind of treat Dryad Militant as if it was a, a two drop. Because if you play it on turn one or turn two, it's about as good as anything else you're going to play on turn two in this format. Right. Uh, Brush Strider being one of the cards that happens to be better. I found that the Vigilance on that card is often pretty relevant, too. Mm-hmm. So, that's saying something. Cool. Also, uh, just really quick, I have noticed that, I mean, the only thing that really gets Brush Strider real good are, are tokens. Uh, like, free bird tokens or whatever. Um, electricery, which most people don't main deck, it seems, and just like some random like value one drops, like the crappy rats or whatever, which again most people don't main deck. So his downside of having one toughness hasn't seemed to come up as much as I maybe originally expected it to. Yeah, I think that people not main decking electricery is pr- is more often a mistake. Like I think that mm-hmm. card is actually just good allowing you to trade with stuff and, and it gets better the more kind of burn effects you have, whether it's like a static caster or 
Like, I don't think that card's exceptional by any means because there really aren't right. that many X1s that you need to be dealing with, but, like, the ability to use that card plus some, like, trickery to kill a two-drop, like, that's pretty sweet. Or to kill two two-drops. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, next card. Brush Strider versus Fencing Ace. Huh. The, they're so close to me. <laughs> they're very similar cards. Yeah. I think the Fencing Ace is slightly better. Mm-hmm. Mostly because of Common Bond. I would agree, yeah. So if you're saying that, like, if you stipulate that I have been drafting green-white and maybe I have a Common Bond in my pool already, then the Fencing Ace is easily the pick. Uh, if I don't already have a Common Bond, the pick gets a little bit closer, but I'd probably still take the Fencing Ace just because... I know at some point I'm going to pick up more pump spells in the green-white deck. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. I mean, common bond fencing ace is such a like mini combo that's actually just so powerful on turn three that, uh, yeah, I think the upside's just too good to pass up. Do you, just quick aside, do you think that Wizards is maybe going a little overboard with like the green-white plus one plus one counters spells, like cards like common bond and travel preparations? a good question uh those cards like since they've started making these like common permanent pump effects like puzzle plus one counter pump effects it seems like that's just a deck every time now like if that kind of card exists in the format then the green white deck is going to be good because green and white always have dudes you can play out early and then if you can just tap out on turn three or turn four just to make those dudes much much larger relative to like their casting cost Mm mm-hmm it just seems, like, really strong to me in general. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I'd like to go through past sets and see when they haven't had those types. I guess it's been a while, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, they've done it before. Like, Incremental Growth was a pretty insane card back in Lorwyn. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I do. That was an insane card. Um, but they've had some bad ones, too. Like, Thrive wasn't very good, and, and that was even in a set that cared about plus one plus one counter yeah that one scales pretty poorly though yeah that's the problem whereas like a card like nature's blessing like later in the game it just gets better because you're going to rip it off the top of your library and only pay one green for it Mm -hmm. and travel prep you can like spread the cost out over two turns if you want to or you can do it all at once like four counters for four mana thrive is just inherently i think worse than all those cards right and i think that thrive like wanted you to play like some weird simic selesnia mix which was never really a good thing to try to do no uh because yeah the middle pack you're just losing out on and the middle pack is so damn good yep um anyway all right so we got fencing ace and we are putting it up against golgari decoy Ooh, all right a little different mm-hmm. a little four drop action I've been pretty impressed with the Golgari Decoy. I've seen that card just outright win games before. With that said, it's still just a 4-mana 2-2, and like if you play that when you're behind and your opponent's already just kind of attacking every turn anyway, it's not that good. And I've already kind of talked about how I think 2-drops are pretty critical in this format, especially if you do want to be aggressive. Yeah. So it really kind of depends on, I guess, what my what those first couple picks were for the most part. What if it was a four drop and a two drop? If it was a it if it was a four drop and a two drop, yeah, yeah, that god, that's really tough. It's funny because these two cards play really well together too. Yeah, they do. 
I'd take the fencing ace, but I wouldn't feel really good about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a solid... I, I also think that fencing ace, like, this isn't that big of a deal, but it's maybe a little bit more of a signal than Golgari decoy is. Like, as in, like, saying, like, oh, you know, aggressive white might be open, you know? Where you pass the decoy, like, people kind of... It's a more expensive card, and I don't know, it's got the Golgari in the name, so people might not think too much about Selesnia, you know, when you pass it. Yeah, I th- I think that, the, like, I might be wrong. I think that the decoy, like, might be correct, but I, based upon my experience so far, I think that prioritizing two drops is just a little bit more important than getting another, like, potential, like, board-breaking or stall-breaking game-winning type card like the decoy. Mm-hmm. It's close. Okay. So how would you feel about Fencing Ace versus Phantom General? Phantom General. That's the 2-3 that gives all your tokens plus one plus one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess if we're talking pack one, like if I first picked, like you said I had a two drop and a four drop. If that two drop and a four drop was like call the Conclave Eyes in the Skies, <laughs> just slam the easy, you know, easy yeah. pick, you know? I like the general a lot because you can build around it to an extent, and people will ship it to you late because the green-white deck isn't always necessarily just about making tokens and populating. Right. Like half the time, it's just about play dudes, play pump spells, win the game. Yeah. You don't necessarily need to dirtle around with tokens if you don't need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that said, I found that like a card like Eyes in the Skies, which can be good, like ranges from like mediocre to pretty good. Like if you have the captain or the phantom general in your deck, that mm-hmm. card just becomes very good. Right. Making two two twos or like a, th- a four four and a two two. Yeah, I mean it becomes an instant speed tall ran summoning. Yeah. Right. I think early in the draft I would gamble and take the phantom general and try to build around it. So that's yeah. my pick. Cool. I like that pick. Uh, also because it makes once you have a phantom general, it makes every cylinder of songbirds an actual card. That's yep. pretty pretty awesome. Yeah. See, for example, my day two first draft deck with double Phantom General and three Cellar of Songbirds. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. All right, so we got the General for the best insurance rates in town. <laughs> Call them up. What's what's with the penguin in those commercials? Do you have any like? Do you know what the penguin's all about? Truth, I actually know all about the penguin, but that's for a different podcast, Craig. Oh, sorry, buddy. Uh, yeah, if you if you want to check out about the penguin, you can go to uh, carinsurancepodcast.com. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was the best joke I've ever made. Yeah. All right, <laughs> Phantom General versus Security Blockade. Uh, Phantom General. Okay, y- you're not a big fan of the blockade. I, I like the blockade, but. Again, it's like three mana for a two two is not what I want to be doing in this format. I want my three mana guys to have three power, or I don't know, have some extra sort of upside. And the ability to like turn one of my lands into a like mini healing solve every turn is not that kind, of, not the kind of upside I'm talking about. Right, it's kind of the opposite of the general plan of green white. It's like you're not going to be tapping your mana to prevent one damage to yourself. You're mostly going to be tapping your mana to kill some bitches yeah that's that's a card i tend to only want to play if i really need that extra like token generator mm-hmm. like if i really need one more card to like make creature tokens to populate that's when i'll take a 
a blockade, but for the most part, I'd shy away from that card. All right. So if you don't like that token maker, you'll hate this token maker. <laughs> Great. That's not true. You'll love it. Call of the Conclave. Oh, uh, windmill slam it. Yeah, over the general? Yeah. I mean, I just talked about how I want to be playing, like, three-mana, three-power guys. That's a two-mana, three-power guy. That it is. Most most of, like, my most dominating games in this format have involved a turn two, call the Conclave, turn mm-hmm. three, anything else, you know? <laughs> Turn three, Centaur Healer. Turn three, whatever have you. It's just like, even if it's just like uh, the Crocodile or the Celestia Sentry, the Elephant Guy. Yeah. God, that's such a blowout sometimes, just having that much power on the board that soon. Right. Yeah. The call is well above the curve for the two drops in this set. Yes. And uh, has some nice synergy as well, which is cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely it's like, I remember Watch Wolf in the original Ravnica being like a cool card, but not like, I don't know, not a, not an easy first pick or anything, you know? Yeah. Where I, think, where I think Call is not that. I think Call is an easy first pick. The green-white deck in original Ravnica wasn't especially aggressive, whereas in this format it kind of is. Mm-hmm. And that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. All right, so if you like to make tokens for a green and a white... Would you like other options as well? Are you going to give me the option of a guild mage here? I'm going to give you the option of a charm. Call the Conclave versus Selesnya charm. Okay. That's close. I still think I'm going to take the charm... Or not the charm, the the Call the Conclave. Okay. I I will admit that the charm is a little more flexible, but as a pump spell, it's not necessarily the best pump spell you can get. As a token maker, it's not necessarily the best token maker you can get. And like the the as a removal spell, it's pretty limited. Like you can only hit big things with it. But it can do all three. It can and it can do all three. This is great. But just like I said, like the ability to cast a three power guy on turn two. That's also a creature token in the green white deck is very very strong, and that's I think that's just a little bit more important to the deck, like the ability to do that than the like the flexibility of the charm and being able to do a lot of different things. Slightly worse. Okay. Cool. It's it's very close. I I put the charm last because I thought it was the best card on the list. It uh, might be. But I, might but be I definitely answer. think it's close to the call. And uh, I don't know. I it's definitely a, di- a difficult pick to me. Um, like it's yeah, it's just tough because I don't really like Selesnya Charm when you're making a token with it. Actually. No, neither is, do I. Which is kind of funny. Like I. Because it's it's awesome that you can do that, but it's like kind of the last thing I want to do with it. Even though it might be the thing I do the most with it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's just the other two things that it does are both more important to the green white deck. Being able to be a pump spell or a removal spell, mm-hmm. or something. Or I mean, the green white deck pretty much wants all the efficient pump spells it can get mm-hmm. between the charm, giant growth, swift justice, and common bond like course of might is kind of a little more fringe like you some decks will really want it and some decks will like will just be like four mana no thanks right and the ability to like take out a large creature and clear the way is also pretty powerful for only two mana at instant speed mm-hmm. but like you're gonna have dudes it's and you're particularly gonna have plenty of dudes that are better than a two two with vigilance so yeah. when you cast that card you don't really want to be using it to make a, a creature token if you can help it cool 
So yeah, that's the list. I I made I picked that one because uh, you drafted multiple green white decks on day two of the GP. So I figured uh, you might want to talk about some green white. Yeah, my uh, first draft deck from day two had fencing ace, brush strider, call the conclave, and it did not have a charm. What else was on the list? I did. It had two phantom generals. Yes, I'm, it I'm did. Holding in my hands, looking at it right now. Probably yeah. my favorite deck of the weekend, to be honest. Well, you did bash some faces with it. Yeah, if anybody's interested in looking at uh, deck lists from the GP, I posted both my sealed pool from day one and my draft decks from day two on eastwestdraftcast.com. So you can scope those out he- there if you want to like follow along or just take a look at your leisure. So let's uh, let's talk about the GP, man. Yeah, dude. What do you want to know? How, how awesome was it? It was really awesome. I had like a really good time. I really like Philadelphia in general, so I was stoked to be able to make that trip and to do it with with, with some friends too. Like Russell, my brother went. Our friends Spencer and John also went, and they were kind of like my support staff all of day two after Spencer kind of was out of the out of contention because he day twoed as well. Congrats to him, by the way. First. Uh, Grand Prix Day 2 for Spencer. Yeah, and he made 122nd place out of over 1,900 people. Yeah. it's I mean, it, it's not in the money or anything, but that's nothing to scoff at. It's It was no, a totally, really, yeah. really tough tournament. I mean, you, you just look at the players that were involved on Day 2, even a lot of the ones that didn't make Top 8. like Oh, totally, yeah. Being Luke, Tom Martell playing, like, winning ins, and all those other people who were at the top tables. Like, John Finkel just left because he wanted to make sure he could get out of town before the storm. That's pretty insane. Yeah, well, he, he's he got a real com- company that makes lots of money. Sure, but, I mean, he's you know what I'm saying? Like, he's just, yeah. like, it's one of those things where, like, who knows if he would have been, like, the guy who bounced Greg Smith from the GP if he had stuck around. You never know. So, uh, you would have crushed John Fingal. That guy's a hack. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, yeah, I mean, so so traveling out there was a lot of fun. We had a direct flight, which is always sweet. Uh, because Virgin America flies straight from San Francisco to Philadelphia. That was nice. And got there, had like a really nice dinner at this fancy vegetarian restaurant on Friday night, had some drinks, went to sleep, woke up the next day and just started battling. Uh, I didn't have any buys. None of us did. I won my first three rounds and I was kind of cruising. Like I didn't lose a game. Most of my matches were not close, and I think it had to do with the fact that I got paired up against some players who weren't necessarily the best in the room, and also, like, a couple of them had pretty suboptimal decks, and, like, they admitted as much after we played. They're like, yeah, my deck's just not very good. I didn't open very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to say that that's, like, an excuse for not playing well, but at the same time, my deck in the sealed portion was very good, and if theirs wasn't very good, I didn't feel, like, super confident after my first three rounds. Right. Round four was the the one round I lost, and so that didn't help either. I lost to an Azorius deck, which is like you and I were talking before the podcast. Like, what's the the deck that beats Greg? And the white blue deck might be it. I've lost to that deck in this format more than anything else, which is kind of funny because I had the hardest time wrapping my head around how to draft that one. Well, maybe not. I guess is it was also kind of a mystery to me, but I feel like I figured that deck out a little bit more as well as the white blue deck. Mm-hmm. But that deck, I like have a hard time with it. 
I do think that white blue tends to be pretty good against Celestia, which is what I was playing on day one. So, and then the guy who was playing it was very good. He made day two as well. And, uh, his deck was pretty excellent. He had a lot of really quality spells. I think he was splashing red for the chemister and maybe something else. After that, it was kind of smooth sailing for the most part on day one. I, I didn't lose again. Yeah. Did you have any nail biters? Uh, not really. I did have one guy try to cheat in a match against me. Oh, did you call judge then? Yeah, he called the judge because he was playing that kind of game. Like, and okay, well, let me break it down. And I don't, I'm not gonna like tell you what round this happened in. I'm not gonna name names because, like, I'm not totally sure if the guy realized he missed his trigger, but okay. he missed a trigger uh, sure. on on a martial law, and. He, and he had been making all of his triggers, like every upkeep announcing what he was detaining with martial law. And sure. I had an Archon of the Triumvirate in play. And so he had detained that like for two turns in a row. And then he goes to take whatever turn number this is. He takes the top card off his off of his library, like kind of sets it down next to the deck, you know, face down, like many people are prone to doing. Yeah. And he like kind of surveys the board. He doesn't say anything, puts the card into his hand. Okay. And... So I, I'm like, yes, he forgot to detain. This is great. Meanwhile, he, he takes his turn, and he goes to attacks, and he attacks in with the griffin, the 2-3. Yeah. Right? And I'm, I snap block. I'm all, block with my archon. He's like, no, no, I detained that. And I'm like, no, you didn't. You drew your card without detaining anything. And he, he's like, oh, I just... And then he immediately raises his hand and yells, judge. So... I'm not sure if he was... like, And he was kind of a shady dude, like a lot of kind of like antsy card shuffling of the hand. Anyway, judge comes over. We both give him our side of the story. It just so happens that Russell had been eliminated at this point in the tournament, and he was watching my match. So he saw it happen and was able to be like the spectator who said, yeah, I saw him miss the trigger. And I'm not sure if that was what led the judge to believe that that was what happened. But the judge ruled in my favor. Or ruled that he missed the trigger, and he's like, would you like this trigger to go on the stack? I'm like, definitely not. And so the dude I'm playing against appeals to the head judge, like, immediately. And I guess you might as well if you're caught, if you're you're going that deep on it. But So the head judge comes over, he talks to each of us individually, and he he sticks with the original judge's ruling. And then this guy just, he gets, he's pissed. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if he's pissed because he knows he missed the trigger, or if he genuinely thought that he remembered it and and thought that I was, like, cheating him. Which is not the case. Like, if I mean, if I had done that, why wouldn't I just snap lock the turn before or something? Why take two hits from the Pegasus or from the whatever, like, sure. before trying... I, I mean, and you can no, go I, however I, many levels deep on this as you want, but go ahead. Yeah, my, I mean, it sounds to me like he legitimately missed the trigger... And probably knew he missed it immediately, but thought, I have to say something or I'm just going to lose this game. Yeah. And I don't know. You can't blame the guy too much for trying to uh, trying to fix his mistake through I, judges. I think you can blame him for trying to cheat. Like, I, I mean, if that was his intention, if he, know, if he knew that he missed it and was just trying to game the system to, like, convince the judge that he didn't miss it. Yeah, well, okay, you can blame him. Sure. That, that but, was the other thing is like he was he was straight lying to the judge about like what had been going on. He would he was said okay. like every time I would I would point to this and I would say detain and he would just nod his head, which was not the case. Like every time that 
he detains something, I would give a verbal acknowledgement and be like, okay, got it. You know, right, um, right. I'm that kind of player too. Like I, I'm, I play pretty slow. I like make sure everything is clear between me and my opponent at all, at all points. Like I almost always remember to like announce that I'm going to attack step before just turning guys sideways. I'm, I'm that kind of player. Sure. And after that, he, he tilted pretty bad, you know, cause sure. I got him, you know, and he, no, I, yeah. He ended up losing like a like and that was the other thing is like the mistake didn't necessarily cost him the game right away. Like he wasn't cuz he was able just the next turn to start detaining it every turn again. Sure. Like the game starts going really long cuz and it's just a board stall. It's like white green versus white green and he's got a martial law and Mike I have more creatures, you know. So like he can't attack, I can't attack. It ultimately gets to the point where I win the game like on a big attack like I I kind of alpha strike in and he takes for ever assigning his blocks like yeah. intentionally playing very slow when he's he's like dead on board like unless he has some trick in his hand like there's no way he can block and survive it was one of those yeah and i don't know like he was he was pissed game two i just ran him over and we were but we were like getting close to time but it was it wasn't close it was just like i play a bunch of dudes attack him down and then eventually he tries to stabilize and i have a sighted in bluster squall i'm like okay overload bluster squall get in there and he was just like fuming like no handshake or anything like that which i guess is understandable but yeah i mean i didn't mean to defend the guy lying i i, I mean you didn't specifically say that he was lying but he was I, lying to the judges after the fact or i mean yeah. and that's the thing is like i'm i honestly wonder if in his own head he didn't realize he missed it and thought and, and really thought he was telling the truth or if he like convinced himself of the lie if that makes mm. sense yeah i it does make sense or what i understand what you're saying but uh through all the years of magic that i have played like i know exactly what that moment feels like when you're like you know what i mean like you miss a trigger and then you realize it later like you never are like did i do that you're always like fuck i fucked up like yeah. damn it you know, it's all—it's always immediate. Like, it's not like that happened like five minutes ago. It happened probably ten seconds ago. You know, so it, yeah, I, I'm sure that he knew. He was just like, "Fuck, how do I get out of this hole?" And yeah, he did the the dishonest thing. But uh, I don't know. Luckily, yeah, he's prob- probably not the only person on earth who would do the same thing in that situation. But it doesn't make it right, you know. Totally, totally. Um, yeah. Uh, to be pissed about it afterwards is pretty lame, but I guess you're, that's what's going to happen. If he's, if he's going to go to the, those lengths, then he's going to be pissed off. Whether he's pissed off at himself, you, or whatever. Well, yeah. I mean, it was, it was late enough in the day, though, where after that loss, he was at X2 and on the bubble for every round after that. Right. Um, and I know for a fact that he did not make day two because I saw him playing side events on day two. Sure. I essentially bounced him from the tournament based upon his play mistake. No, oh, he bounced, he bounced himself. Yeah, I guess you're right, but... You know, you know what I'm saying? Like that was awkward, and sure. it's always weird too because the judges have to make a ruling, and like, I wonder how much like distrust there is after that. Like, if the judges like, are they going to keep an eye on this Greg Smith guy for the rest of the day to make sure he doesn't like do something like this again, or like, are they going to keep an eye on this other guy for the same reasons? It probably takes a few calls before they're like actually eyeing you. Yeah. But yeah, they totally do. I mean, friggin', I mean, people have gotten banned for these types of shady dealings. Yeah. And it's it's not like I'm I'm worried about this either because like I said, like I'm a 
I don't cheat. I'm a straight up player. Like I'm very clear about what's going on in game states with my opponents. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was a little awkward just because like I felt like I was almost looking over my shoulder for the rest of the day based upon the fact that this guy said that I was cheating when I was not, and it puts yeah. it put me as that player in a very strange position. And it, I mean, it didn't end up affecting me at all. Like I finished out the day just fine and like never had another judge call for the rest of the day. But it was strange. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I think you dealt with it correctly, probably, but... Uh, well, and I, no, I, ha- oh, I was going to say, the other thing was, is I was very calm about it the whole time, like, when I was interacting with the judges. Like, I one, I knew I was right, and I knew I had someone else who saw it right there, like, who saw this guy miss the trigger. So I, I was pretty confident that the judges would rule in my favor, but at the same time, I'm also the kind of person who, if they wouldn't have, I would have been like, okay, whatever, you know? I can... Sure. Like, I just have to battle through this, I guess. And right. so I was, like, very honest and very calm and collected about it. And, well, this guy was kind of, like, seething. And I think that that, I don't know if that influenced the judge's decision, but it made me feel better about, like, I don't know. It made me feel like a, the bigger person, I guess. Sure. Which, I don't know. I got I got some small, selfish amount of satisfaction out of that. <laughs> I see. I, I had another question that you, uh, about that Um or about judge calls, you mentioned that uh, at the last, at the end of there, he like kind of stalled during his um, blocks. How, like, do you think there is etiquette with calling for slow play in terms of like it's round or it's game one? It's like you probably aren't even through half the round quite yet, or maybe you are through like exactly half or something, and he's sitting there kind of stalling. It looks like it's he's just dead unless he has something in hand. Do you just call i mean obviously it doesn't sound like he did here's the way i looked at it one i didn't want to involve the judges again like and this might be incorrect it might be a mistake i didn't want to call another judge over on this guy and be like hey can you watch this guy for slow play because it was one of those moments where as soon as he just admitted that he was dead on that attack the game was over you know and game one that game had taken so long that every minute he spent like tanking on that block that irrelevant block was one less minute he would have to beat me in game two, you know? True, yeah. And I was, and like, I knew I was going to be up a game. And it's like, hey, dude, if you want to kill the clock so that you can, like, be mad at me, like, that's your problem. Like, if you want to make this go longer, that's fine. And I'm not sure if me not telling him to play faster or not calling a judge, like, am I liable for slow play on that? Like, I don't think so. If no. I've shipped priority to him on my attacks. Like, I don't believe so. Yeah. Either. Anyway, so like I was, I was content to let him take as long as he wanted because every minute he spent not choosing his blockers was one minute I got closer to winning that match. I felt. Right. I mean, you could have ended up in a position where he might call slow play on you when you guys are down to the wire and he's like in, at the upper hand and you gotta think of all your outs or whatever. But and then you're. Like, yeah. You, no, I, it it probably would have been correct to call a judge, but after. What had just, happened in game yeah. one, or like with the judge already? Like I didn't want to kind of, I didn't want to make that situation worse. Yeah, I didn't want to like make this guy more of a like a, a head case, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I mean I know what that's like in terms of an angry opponent, like calling a judge when an opponent is like already just tilted and pissed is not a good feeling. They immediately just get like super defensive and like. I've seen people like yelling and stuff over that kind of thing, but I don't know. Yeah, it's judge calling is a tough thing in Magic where 
there's like this thing about magic where everybody is just there to have fun, but they're also there like for like a grand prix, you're also there to hopefully win and make a bunch of money. Yeah. Uh, so it's like this weird thing where you're like, I don't want to like upset this guy, like this stranger, because we're here to have fun together. But at the same time, like I don't want to lose <laughs> because I don't call something. So yeah. I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a fine line I think. I mean I'd be interested to talk to a judge and see like what a judge thinks I should have done in that situation like should I just have called because again like I feel like judges probably always think you should call a judge. Yeah I guess you're right. Yeah. They like to be useful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well and that was the other thing is after the judge had made like his original ruling on that first kind of on that miss trigger mm-hmm. they kind of hung out around the table for a while while we played. And sure, just kind of yeah. kept an eye on us, Absolutely. which I mean was understandable and fine with me because like it's, prob- I said, it's I, probably something that they're supposed to do. Yeah, but I but I was surprised they didn't stick around longer. But I mean, at a tournament that big, it was just like yeah, you're gonna be called. The tournament, the judges are really busy all the time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like won that one uh, and won all the rest of my matches after round four, including like they did this weird thing where they cut to day two after round nine on day one, and then they made us play one more round, technically of day two, at, like... What? Yeah, it is, like... I'm trying to make this easy to follow, but it's not. <laughs> like, we, we played ten rounds on day one, but the tenth round was technically a part of day two. It was after the cut. So if you were X2 after round nine, you were in. You were in, that's correct. And so there were some X3s that started day two? Yes, that's weird. Yeah, I think it had to do with the fact that they split. Like, the tournament was so large, they split it. And they did this when we played in GP Portland as well. Like, once you get enough players, it becomes easier, like, from, a, I would assume, just from a tournament organizing standpoint to have, like, an A side of the tournament and a B side of the tournament. And, like, the A players only play against A players, the B players only play against B players. Mm-hmm. And then after the cut, after round nine they merged all the people who made the cut together. So in round 10, on at the end of day one, we could play against people from, I guess, what they called the yellow or the blue pool of players. Did you have to play against a yellow or a blue on round 10? I don't remember. Oh. It didn't really matter to me. These are big, important things, Greg, that we all care about. Yeah. I mean, I could probably figure it out if you want me to look at the coverage. I was on... being sarcastic. Yeah. But, yeah. That's that's weird, but I guess I don't really understand how tournament organizing goes for those massive tournaments. Yeah, I think it just allows them to kind of keep track of results a little easier. Like, instead of having a list of, like, one list of 1,900 players, they have two lists of 900 players. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they can, like, delegate, like, okay, this half of the judge group is going to work with this side of the room, and this half of the judge group is going to work with this side of the room. Right. All in all, I, I actually do want to really praise whatever uh, like event group put on the GP. It went pretty smoothly for the most part. Like there were a couple rounds where we had to wait a little longer after time was up, but for the most part, we got through ten rounds in a pretty reasonable amount of time compared That's to good. some other big tournaments I've been to. That's good. I don't know. It helped. It it helps when you're winning, you know. Sure. Yeah. Makes that time not seem as as long. Mm-hmm. But yeah, day one. That was that was the story there. Cool. 
Went back to the hotel, had some... Like, at this point, the storm was kind of bearing down. So figuring out where to eat and, like, what we would need for the next day was kind of tricky. Yeah. Was Philly hit pretty bad or what? It was not. Yeah. We actually got off pretty easy. Like, New Jersey and New York got it really bad. And, I mean, we've all seen coverage of that. Like, it's pretty rough. Like, hopefully all those people are, are doing okay now and getting the help they need, but... Uh, we were very lucky where we were. Our hotel never lost power. The tournament site like never lost power or anything like that. It was pretty easy for us to be there. It was just the only thing that we couldn't do was leave. Like we couldn't fly out of town because the airport was closed. Right. Actually had like a really hard time falling asleep on Saturday night after day one. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know what happened. I just couldn't sleep. Couldn't do it. Because you had a good record and you were nervous? <laughs> I, maybe. Yeah. It could have been nerves. I think it could have been just like I had some coffee late in the day and that might have messed me up. Like on top of the fact like we flew in on Friday and this is Saturday night and I'm my body is kind of tuned to three hours earlier. So like if it's 1 a.m. on the East Coast, my body thinks that it's 10 p.m. That is true, and that, the three-hour time difference is actually pretty brutal, uh, especially going your direction. Uh, whenever I go back to California, I don't notice it, but when I come back this way, when I'm done in California, I it takes me a few days, usually, to get back on time. And so I kind of got into this weird space on Saturday night in my head where I was like running through, like, fuck, if I don't, be, if I don't fall asleep, I'm going to like be all tired tomorrow, and I'm going to play like shit. And just and then you start thinking about that, and then it becomes even harder to fall asleep. Uh, eventually, like I don't know how it happens, but eventually, like you fall asleep for some amount of time. But it was not very long because we had to get up early for day two because of the storm. Like because the storm was bearing down, they wanted to start the tournament earlier on day two so that it, in theory we'd be able to get out of there sooner on Sunday, mm-hmm. and hopefully make flights or hopefully like be able to drive out of town for whoever was doing that. And so, yeah, like, that was pretty rough. Got up in the morning, had some coffee, had some breakfast. Spencer and I went over there and sat down for the players' meeting. Uh, And then that was the one time where they had kind of a gnarly delay. And I'm not sure what exactly happened, but they have to assign each player to a draft pod for day two based upon the standings. And so if you were – but if you're ranked, like, let's say 40th and you don't show up on time – there's just going to be an empty seat at that table and they can't just like take somebody from like the last table and move them onto the table with the number 40 ranked player. They have to shift everyone up a seat. So they had like, we sat there for a while while we waited for players to show up. And I'm not sure if those players were just like, if they overslept or if they left because of the storm, but we had to wait a while. And eventually like they reshuffled the pods, like they moved everybody up so that all the tables were full. Right. I ended up not having to change my draft pod, but my seat at the table changed, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that led to me drafting the little white green deck that I did. And like I said, it was like my favorite deck of the tournament. Just super aggressive. Lots of like token makers. And I was basically all in on Phantom General, uh, Wild Beastmaster, and Pump Spells. Right. It was pretty sweet. Three owed that pod, uh, went into the next pod, and 
my round one, like this, now I'm at table one. So I'm, I sit down and I'm drafting with LSV, Watanabe, Luki Shuklovsky, couple other players who were like, who else was in there? Fuck. I can't remember, but needless to say, like kind of a, a rough draft pod to be sitting in, you know, was Martin Juza uh, in there. I think Yuza was in there. Yeah. Cause he was one of my potential round 16 opponents. Mm-hmm. So Yuza was in there. Uh, and a couple of the other just people who had been killing it all tournament long, essentially. Uh, and I drew Lukas Yuklovsky in the first round, and that was my first feature match of the entire tournament. First, my, actually, my first feature match ever. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sitting there with like this mono two-drop Rakdos deck, which features four Shred Freaks and maybe one three-drop creature. And then like some skull rends. Like the deck was actually not that good because I kind of got caught between drafting white or drafting Rakdos in my first like pack. Like after pack one, I was halfway split between like a Celestia slash Azorius deck or the Rakdos deck. Like I had a common bond, I had a seller of songbirds, I had a Rootborn defenses, I think I had a Celestia Guild Gate, and maybe like a white blue card, like a dramatic rescue or uh, I think I had a Sky Knight. I don't know what pack that came out of. But, like, you can see the deck on our website, and you can see, like, the white cards that I wasn't playing was, like, Double Dramatic Rescue, or the white, blue, and green cards I wasn't playing was, like, Double Dramatic Rescue, Seller of Songbirds, Two Rootborn Defenses, a Sky Knight, a Common Bond, a Corsamite, Double Hussar Patrol, and an Azores Elocutors. So, like, I didn't draft very well. I kind of... S- Ultimately, it wasn't like a switch into Rakdos because I had taken some Rakdos cards in pack one, yeah. but I was stretching for playables, so I had like a Skull Rend in my main deck and a Grave Betrayal in there, and I do not want to be playing Grave Betrayal in this format. No. But I felt like I needed to because my deck was kind of... Because my deck wasn't that good, I needed something that if the games went late and I was still alive, I could maybe steal some wins with like removal spells plus Grave Betrayal. Mm-hmm. Didn't end up mattering because I played Yaklovsky and he also had like a, a really aggressive Rectos deck and I beat him game one in a relatively competitive game. Yeah. And then game two, you can see the tail end of on the video coverage. Did you did you watch that at all, Jeff? That game, uh I don't remember watching that game, no. So like I, I rewatched the video coverage and they clicked over like it's weird. Like the feature match area, they have two two games going at once. There are two feature matches, but they only what do you want to call it? Broadcast one of them at a time. Mm-hmm. So they were broadcasting, I think, LSV versus Watanabe next, like sitting next to us. Yeah. And their and their games weren't necessarily going slow, but because my match was Rakdos on Rakdos, our our first game went very fast. Uh, by the time we got to game two, like shuffled up and did mulligans and stuff. We start. We get into that game, and then they're like, "Okay, hold on a sec. We're gonna switch coverage over." The like the people doing coverage at the yeah. feature match area. They're like, "Okay, we're gonna switch over to you guys. So can you pause for a second? And we're like, "Yeah, sure." And then we get get to playing, and it's like the fastest game of Magic ever. That involves him playing a Shred Freak, me playing a Shred Freak, him playing another Shred Freak, me playing a Deviant Glee, attacking, passing, him coming back at me with double Shred Freak, and I have an, uh, an overloaded Electricery on his turn. Just oh, two for one, I'm out. And after that, I just played some more dudes and kind of took it home. It wasn't that close. 
Um, he eventually like got revenge on me in the top eight. So I don't think he's, he definitely did. Don't think he's bummed out about that feature match, but (laughs) no, right. Yeah. That, that was a, uh, yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, there, there wasn't much games played in that round of the top eight, unfortunately. Yeah, every match in the top eight was 2-0. Yeah, I saw that. Which was very weird. Yeah, so you made top eight after after that match you drew in. Yeah, after that match, I kind of had like this nail-biter situation where I needed to figure out if I could draw in round 15. Like if I could dub- draw twice to get in. Mm-hmm. And so I look at the pairings, and I'm... Before I go to sit down at my table, I'm relatively convinced I should play, just to kind of make sure. I, d- I do this because, one, I know I'm playing against LSV, and I got to see some of his games, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so I knew his deck was kind of slow. He was playing like a, a Is It Control deck, and I thought, you know what, I might be able to just steal games from him. With that said, he did have a Street Spasm in his deck, which I was terrified of. <laughs> Because all like I had all X ones and X twos on the ground. Yeah. This part. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I sit down at the table. LSV shows up and he says, "I'm pretty confident we can draw." And me, like we're both sitting at the same total number of points. I think we had 39 at the time. Yeah, he just had better tiebreakers. He had much better tiebreakers, and that was something I didn't really weigh heavily enough. But like we talk about it for a while. I I like I'm really worried, you know, because. I, th- I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. At Worlds, Russell played in a PTQ, and he did one of those, like, I can draw to get into the top eight things, and he ended up in ninth place, you know? Right. And I was terrified of something like that happening when, one, I'd been playing well all weekend, and I felt pretty good about where I was in the format and understanding, like, what it would take to win most matches, like any mm-hmm. given match. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, man, I should probably just play. And then, like, he, he kind of talked, like, LSV kind of talked me into it or, like, assuaged my fears a little bit based upon, like, what he talked about, like, if we both drew, then this would happen and this would happen. Like, it wasn't exactly how we thought it would play out, but it ended up not mattering. I, I After we drew, I did a bunch of research. Like, I ran between the standings page, or not the standings, the pairings pages, mm-hmm. and a picture of the standings I had taken with my phone to see where all the people who could potentially, potentially make top eight were. Yeah. And... While round 15 was going on, and I was, like, crunching a bunch of numbers, like, just points, like, who could potentially win what matches and end up at what point totals, I figured out that it actually didn't matter what happened in round 16, I don't think, mm-hmm. that I would probably make the top eight. Like, even if I had to play and lost, oh, I really? think I still would have made it, yeah. What uh, place were you in when you went into top eight? I ended up in seventh place. Okay. But Yuya had less points than me, and so did one other player. They both had 40, and I had 41. Mm-hmm. So if I had played that last round, I would have ended up... Like, if I had played and lost, I would have ended up at 40. But, mm-hmm. like, the other guy who, who had 40 points... Like, cause you, I, I was paired against Yuya in round 16. So he would have been... He would have had more points. But that, like, that other guy who had 40 points, he would have had worse tiebreakers than me, I'm pretty sure. Okay. That's good. Um, yeah. Or, or, no, no. Fuck, I, I misspoke, actually. that He was like the wild card. He was the one dude who was sitting at 37 points going into the last round. Oh, so he so, had to win. So, yeah, he had to win or else he was out. And he did win and still didn't make it. Ah. Which is kind of a bummer for him. Yeah, I see. 
But yeah, I was able to draw in twice, make it to the top eight, and that was pretty sweet. Um, there's a bunch of coverage for that on the mothership if you're interested in checking it out. Readers, or not readers, listeners. <laughs> I guess you're a listener now, but if you go check it out, you'll be a reader. It's true. Did you talk to LSV about going to UC Davis together? No, I did not. I didn't. I thought. I, did he go to UC Davis, or he's was he? I, I, I actually grew don't up know. in Davis. He did grow up in Davis. I don't know if he went to the UC or not. I think he did though, because I, I, I feel like he lived with Chion. Oh in, really? In Davis. That's funny. I, I think he did. I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, me and LSV we go way back. <laughs> yeah, never played Magic with him in Davis, but I know he was playing Magic. Yeah. When you when you were in Davis, so. It's true. Go Aggies. Yeah. But yeah, beat Yuya in round one of the top eight, lost to Yuklovsky on some, like, just missed land drops, had to mulligan in game two. It's kind of rough. But regardless, qualified for the Pro Tour in Montreal in February. Very excited. Yeah. Pro Tour. Oh, it's Montreal? I think so. Okay. Why? speak french up there and yeah. stuff. it's so. crazy that they make us go up there in the dead of goddamn winter <laughs> i know february jesus it's gonna be so cold oh it's gonna be awesome like, it couldn't have been like pro tour like bahamas <laughs> come on wizards get it together <laughs> yeah that is weird though it seems like they would do it in the summertime if they were going up all the way that far north but no it's gonna yeah. be pro tour blizzard or whatever yeah, I really don't care where it is. I'm just stoked that I'm qualified and yeah. terrified of having to learn standard, but we're going to we're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah, you got uh quite an uphill battle. It's uh us limited players, we have no clue what to do with standard, but the top the top eight of a pro tour is always constructed too, right? Oh god, I don't know. Probably. I think Actually, it is. No, I don't know if that's true. Because I think at Pro Tour Return to Ravnica, they had to play Modern in the top eight. How many Pro Tours do they do a year? Isn't it just one for every uh, set they release now? Oh, yeah, you're right. I could so, be wrong about that. No, you are right, because they're naming them after the sets now. So, yeah, so they do three for the block, and so that's going to be... I know the last one is block constructed, is the constructed format. And, and the middle one is standard, and the first one is modern, so modern standard block. And then, I I don't, they, they, they do, do they do Pro Tour for the core set? I don't know. No, I don't think they do. It's it's, think, it's so surreal to me that I'm qualified, because we, we've ta- you and I have talked about this. I always kind of had the dream of getting onto the Pro Tour, making it. Like, it was, it was a goal of mine. It's been a goal of mine for a long time. But... It had been so long, like, I'd have been playing Magic for so long, and it had never happened, like, whether through PTQs or GPs. I kind of, like, forgot it was a goal, almost. <laughs> and now that it's happening, it's, like, it's crazy to me. I, I don't really, like, know what to do with myself. I'm really, really yeah, excited. It is crazy. And, I mean, the thing, to be fair, like, it was a goal, but it wasn't a it wasn't a goal like it's a, a lot of people's goal. Like, you weren't a PTQ grinder. You weren't driving all over... F- like every to every PTQ that happened, like we would just play in sealed PTQs when they were close enough. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't like. It basically just comes down. Yeah, it comes down to the fact that we like to play limited. Yeah, it was just we like to play limited and like to play in big tournaments. They're fun. So, 
and it was like it'd be awesome to make it on the pro tour it was kind of just like a like how cool would that be like i want to do that i want to have that on my resume but yeah now you got it now now your next uh bucket list is to win a pro tour so yeah fucking do it that's the plan man awesome so yeah if any listeners out there want to coach me up on standard drop me a line i could i could use all the help i can get yeah we're especially talking to those people who have won pro tours yeah because we have a ton of listeners that have won pro tours i assume at least like five or six (laughs) i don't know i'm i i'm pretty excited because it the pro tour will be right after gate crash comes out and I feel that like if there's one thing I'm pretty good at, it's evaluating a set for limited early on. Yeah, I, I tend to do very well at things like pre-releases and I mean even just this GP or, or like GP San Jose. Like I felt like I've had a pretty firm grasp on the format right away. Uh, I think I think both of us are pretty good at that. Yeah, like my card evaluation skills for limited are pretty strong. With that said. Constructed is a totally foreign beast to me. I never play it. Like, yeah. literally never. <laughs> the last time I played Standard was when Jund was a thing in Shards of Alara Standard. And what? Did you play it once? I played one Standard tournament. Before that, the last time I played Standard, it was called Type 2. <laughs> and Urza's Saga was legal. Telerian Academy was legal. Yeah. No, I mean, I played a little bit of Standard after Academy got banned. Oh, did you? Yeah. But Probably not much, though. I was a kid, is what it comes down <laughs> to. Like, I was in high school. I was a child. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, now, now I'm a man. High schoolers have won Pro Tours before. It's true. Not this high schooler. No. Maybe a 30-year-old can win this <laughs> upcoming Pro Tour. I have faith in you, Keep sir. your fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, I will be um, following coverage as always, or not? Well, I don't always follow the pro tours very closely, but this one I will be for sure. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Yeah, no problem. Are you taking anybody with you up there? Well, yeah, I heard that they kind of give you the ability to have one kind of spectator friend come with you to the tournament site. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, they don't get like the travel voucher that I get to go to the pro no, tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, honest, honestly, Jeff, first invite goes to you. I know that you've got a lot going on, what with the wedding coming up and hopefully going to GP Vegas. Yeah. Limited. Yeah, I think that's probably not going to happen for me. Okay. But I appreciate the invite for sure. So yeah, I'll find somebody to go with me. Yeah, I think uh, I know another Smith boy that would probably be stoked to do that. He can't go. He's going to be out of town too. Oh, bummer. Yeah. So. Oh well, I yeah we have a million people that would love to do it. So. I might might have to do like some sort of battle royale, or maybe I'll just like host a magic tournament to see who gets to come. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Apparently, like you should like even if like if I'm play playing in the tournament, my spectator friend can just draft for free the entire time. So really? that's pretty incredible. That's pretty fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would totally go if I could afford a plane ticket, but yeah, wedding and all. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Do you want to talk? I know we've been going for a while. I think the actual tournament report, I don't know how useful it was to listeners, but it went pretty long, too. So both of these are bad things. <laughs> With that said, I mean, do you want to talk a little bit more about kind of Return to Ravnica Limited in general? Sure. Well, why don't we do like uh, really like uh, ad like uh, not ad lib uh, fucking 
just a super quick like uh, risers and fallers segment, whatever we can come off with off the top of our head. Yeah, I've actually I kind of wanted to do this. All right, well I haven't prepared at all, so go for it. R- risers. Yeah, let's start with risers. Blue cards. Blue the cards. Blue, the blue guilds. All right. Like I was so down on is it and Azorius because they were so I, I really don't think they're very good in sealed for the most part. Like mm-hmm. they require like a very lucky open in sealed or a good support off of a splash for the most part. But mm-hmm. in draft, those two guilds are both very good. Okay. If you draft them correctly, like the red blue deck can either be just like a super tempo oriented deck where it tries to beat you down quick with like pursuit of flights on things like cobble brutes and like pursuit of flight on the, the one four for two. Yeah. That's, that's, by the way, that's going to be my riser. Yeah, I mean, he's great. He's the most important card in the blue-red deck, I think. For sure. Because he holds off the, the three the three power guys, and if you put a Pursuit of Flight on him, he's legitimately a dragon. Like, he's just a house. Yeah, he's and he's also a four-power, two-mana creature. I mean, sure, it takes a turn to do that, but... Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can attack in, and they're like, well, shit, like... You know, I'm either going to block and trade or block and nothing happens or it's like such a, I don't know, such a scary card. Like whenever somebody attacks in with it, it's like, what are they thinking? Like, what do they want out of this (laughs) attack? You know, it's like if I just take one, am I just taking one or am I taking four? It's like kind of a mind fuck. I love it. Uh, And the blue white guild, too, just I think you have to draft that deck a little bit more controlly. And not necessarily saying, like, you don't want to beat down with it, because you do. Like like I said, I think if you can be beating down in this format, you want to be doing it at every given... Like, you always want to be attacking if you can, just because mm-hmm. the games can end so quickly out of nowhere, whether it's due to, like, an explosive impact or a teleportal or a bluster squall. Mm-hmm. But the blue-white deck is pretty good at kind of, like, using its life total as a, as a really deep resource. Because, like, you can gain life back with dramatic rescues... And you can kind of, like, save some points of life here and there with just good blockers. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, if you're just getting in there with flyers or with your uh, 2-1 unblockable detain guy, that deck can be pretty strong if you play it carefully. Right. But you have to be willing to, like, take a lot of damage, I think, in the mm-hmm. early game. Because you mm-hmm. that deck is not fast. Right. How about fallers? You got any fallers? I do have a faller. It might be a little controversial or... or... I actually like the card, but it's worse than I originally wanted it to be, which is Gatecreeper Vine. Yeah. Yeah, it just, the body is so irrelevant. So irrelevant. Uh, it's like, you never you never really realize, like, there's so few cards in Magic that are printed at 02, or, or 01 for that matter, like, that, that are just, that aren't, like, tokens or something, some bullshit, you know? Yeah. Like... You you kind of forget like how useless an O2 is until you cast one, and uh, that's kind of all it does. I mean, yeah, it grabs you land, which is really what it's doing. But uh, unless you have a card that says count the amount of defenders you control, wow, it does nothing. Yeah, like, I mean, if you're, I think it, it's at its best in the Golgari deck. For sure, and I like the Golgari deck. I like the five color deck. He's I I pick it fairly high, but I am always disappointed in the body. I'm always like. <laughs> why do you do nothing? Like, why do you only gain me two life? Like, every time, it's like, that's what he does. He's like, 
gain two and, and search for land, which isn't bad, but... You should play more launch parties, Chef. I, yeah, he's definitely a solid launch party target. I probably should. I, I don't play a lot of launch parties. I don't pick it. And it's I don't I don't evaluate it high enough to ever get them. So yeah, maybe I am just doing it wrong. But the launch party, like I like it in the more aggressive decks, you know. Yeah. And the gate creeper vine is not really for the aggressive decks. No, I will say I had two in my sealed pool, or in my sealed deck on day one. And while they like the O2 is like you say always underwhelming, like they did a lot of work in that deck because that deck was pretty greedy as far as like wanting to get to six and seven mana to cast Archon and right. Courses of Chords and things like that. For sure. But yeah, that's my faller because I don't know. I looked at it as like, uh, well, not on the level of, but like kind of near a Civic Wayfinder. Oh like, yeah, not even close to that good. Yeah, no, not even close. I'm trying to think of other fallers for me. I'm kind of having a hard time because I feel like most of the cards in this format I evaluated pretty well. Like if anything, they like I, I was skeptical and they, and these cards have all appeared to be better, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, I have, I, speaking of that, I have one more riser while you think. Okay. Giant growth. Yeah. That it's, card is awesome. Yeah. And it's, I don't, I don't think it's ever been better. Like it's, I really don't. I think this is the best giant growth has ever been in, in a, limited set because it's so hard to punish people for playing pump spells yeah and there's so little instant speed removal that trumps those types of cards Mm -hmm. yeah oh and i mean kind of in that same vein i guess another just general realm of risers for me are the creature enchantments deviantly pursuit of flight nightly valor all those cards are highly playable in this format yes they are you don't even have to worry about like just jamming them onto your creatures like you have to be a little careful but not not like it normally is yeah. no not even close yeah sure another card that's gone up for me and i, I still haven't come up with a faller but armory guard as a riser mm-hmm. the two five i think just five toughness in this format is really nice yeah it's big and the fact that like he can occasionally just get vigilance and, and bash in is very good mm-hmm. and also i was i was talking to ryan the other day um getting back to giant growth uh and we were just talking about, you know, what cards have been, you know, really good and, like, what the high picks are or what have you. And uh, he mentioned Giant Growth being what he thinks is the best green common. And and I was like, that's so weird, you know, Giant Growth being best green common. And he compared it to Lightning Bolt, which I thought was so cool. Like, the fact that, I mean, he's not completely correct on, like... I mean, and he said, like, he's like, I, I don't mean that it's as good as Lightning Bolt, because it's not. But just the, the like, importance of it in the format, like, it feels the same. And it's so cool that, like, Giant Growth is finally, finally able, someone's actually able to talk about that and Lightning Bolt in the same sentence. <laughs> and it's like... Yeah, and have it not yeah, be a joke. It's like, they're part of the same cycle, and he's finally seeing his day in the sun. It's only been 15 years, but Giant Growth is getting it done. Yeah, I mean, think about that cycle of one mana cards from Alpha. <laughs> yeah, Giant Growth is about as good as Ancestral Recall right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't mean that, but I mean, like, all those other cards have kind of had their glory. Like, Ancestral Recall is a Power 9 card. Dark Ritual has led to some of, like, the most busted openings in Magic history. And 
I mean, healing healing solvents will always be the bitch. Healing solvents the best one of all of them. What are you talking about? The run, only, three. only in beer. Only in beer <laughs> magic. Give your opponent three life. By the way, uh, me and Spencer are building a beer magic cube currently, and uh, when we're done, which will be months from now, uh, we we need to have a podcast about it. We need to have a podcast where we play first and then record a drunken episode. I am very in for this. Okay. So I've got one more riser and one more faller. All right, do it. I, I came up with the faller. Riser, dispel. Yeah. Never thought I would say it, but that card is pretty good. And it's kind of a blowout, too, because uh, a lot of the instants are pump spells, and they cast them after blocks are declared. That's why it's good. Yeah. Just because pump spells are so relevant, it's so good. And, like, the blue deck really is just excellent against the white-green deck. It has all the tools to beat it. It has bounce to just straight-up kill tokens. It has dispel to just wreck you on your on your bad attacks with pump mm. spells. Yeah. I always want to think... I always think that it can get sorceries, too. Like, that's something I have to be careful with with dispel. Like, yeah. I have to remember that it's literally only instance. But it's a good enough, like sideboard card against pump spells and against like the black red removal heavy decks that it's often okay just a main deck one as well yeah because you're almost always going to have at least one target for it over the course of the game and it's not hard to leave up one blue mana totally it's not like leaving up syncopate mana or cancel mana yeah and it, and it's like almost always is it like gonna save a creature or maybe even two for one them or whatever yep if if you're casting it it's gonna be doing some fucking awesome for one mana yeah it's it's really impressed me i haven't played a whole lot with it but i've had it played against me and while there's sometimes where like they played against you're like yeah whatever sure you dispel that you don't give a shit but other times like usually like you say when you make it attacks that look like on the surface like they're bad but like your opponent knows you have a pump spell so you know that the attack isn't bad but to have that pump spell dispelled is like there's not not much more kind of disheartening than that in this format totally um my faller is the Drudge Beetle. Really? Okay. And I remember, and I'm not, I don't think the card is bad, but I remember when I saw the card on the spoiler, I'm like, oh, it's a grizzly bear with this crazy upside of being able to scavenge two counters on to my dude at like the end of the game. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I mean, what what turned out to be the case is that just a 2-2 isn't that relevant in the first place. Okay. Like it doesn't get to trade off with that much. And the scavenge cost on the Beetle is more than, I think, 90% of the other scavenge cards, like the Sewer Shambler, the Scorpion, Golgari Decoy, they all, all scavenge for like a much more reasonable cost. Yeah. Like the only one that's worse, I think, or not the only one, but like the one, the most, the other playable card that's worse is the Corrosta Monitor, the 3 3 Trample. Yeah. But that guy's good just because he's a 3 3 with Trample for four. Totally. Like he's, he's just better than Drudge Beetle on his own. Mm-hmm. So like that card. It's kind of gone down for me. I'd almost, I shouldn't say almost always, but there are plenty of games where I'd rather just have one of the three twos for three than the Beetle. What about Keening Banshee versus Beetle? I like the Banshee a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Stab wound. I mean, the ability, yeah, the ability to hose a stab wound or like fingers crossed a collective blessing, something that's like that big of a blowout, or even just a paralyzing grasp. Like there are enough enchantment targets that main decking one of those guys, he's almost he's going to be live in like half your matches, if not more. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we should totally do a Risers and Fallers with the Enchantment deck. <laughs> Have you seen this deck? Ryan has drafted it multiple times, of course. Is it like Sphere of Safety deck? Yes, it's the Sphere of Safety yeah. Chronic Flooding deck. So you Chronic Flood yourself, 
and you mill your deck out, and then you uh, psychic, spiral psychic spiral for the win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he got crushed by me playing that deck. Oh no, I mean in a draft the other day. This is why we have to force the issue on this thing. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. If- I've, I've seen people play versions of that deck that aren't like chronic flooding decks. They're not like psychic spiral decks. They're just kind of controly white blue flyer decks mm, playing sphere. where they play sphere and paralyzing grasp and arrest and the card we were talking about earlier security blockade mm-hmm. like you play a bunch of enchantments and then if you can stick to sphere of safeties they your they opponent basically can't, can't attack, attack yeah yeah it's fun and it, it, you can lock people out that way i just i don't know it seems a little too gimmicky for me and a little slow oh it's not good i'm sure <laughs> okay thanks as long as long as we we can give that hard-hitting piece of analysis to our listeners. According to Ryan, it is good. And he's probably going to listen to this and be like, what? It's so good. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sphere of Safety is a cool card. I, I just like how terrible it can be, but how, like, so insanely badass it can be. I don't know. It's great. Yeah. I mean, the ability to lock people out of games is is cool very few cards but you have you have to be able to you have to be able to win from that somehow yeah yeah but i i might uh try to at least bust out a recording of a uh forcing the issue on that deck well, i'm always in for a, a forcing the issue of bad decks like, sure that's like my favorite segment on this podcast yeah it's, i think everyone knows that it's a good one um with all that said you got any more risers or fallers or do you want to anything else you kind of want to say about the format in particular Format is cool. I haven't drafted it a ton, but I've drafted it infinitely more than I have for the past two sets. That's good. Welcome back to Magic, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. We mi- we missed you. I missed you too, Magic. One of us. One of us. Yeah. One of us. But uh, with that said, uh, it's been a fun fun set so far. Um, I'm I can. I could probably draft it until the day Gate Crash comes out and still be pretty stoked on it, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, you can't say that about a lot of formats. This one does go pretty deep. I like it a lot. Yeah. With that said, let's wrap it up. If you want to get in contact with us, we would encourage you to do so. Uh, we always like to hear from listeners. I want to give a quick shout-out, actually, to listener Jonathan, who was at the GP, and we spent a lot of time playing Magic With on the day after day two like after the top eight because he was stuck in the hotel with us so he came down and like cubed we did a a five-person star draft and then we did a team draft with like our group and jonathan and uh, marshall from limited resources it was and and a couple other guys one of the coverage guys and a couple other uh maybe just one other player a guy named i think his name was michael but that was fun it was cool to meet marshall he was uh very nice in person I was kind of like, was a little paranoid that maybe him and uh, Ryan Spain and him and John Laux kind of like resented us for starting another <laughs> limited podcast. I doubt. But he was he was nothing but cordial and, and good natured when when we met in person. It was a pleasure to hang out with him, and I'm sure he was he had a good time because he stopped me in our in our team draft. Oh yeah, well playing white blue, goddamn it. Yeah, can't beat that deck apparently. Well, next time you see him. Tell him that I'm gunning for him because I'm going to take his podcast down with my sweet podcast. <laughs> sure, sure, buddy. <laughs> they, they just released some stats, and apparently, like, the limited resources set review for Return to Ravnica, like, was the most downloaded Magic podcast on MTG Cast ever. Like, 20,000 downloads. Damn, girl. 
Well done, yeah, guys. Yeah, so, yeah, congrats to them. That's a pretty cool accomplishment. Yeah, that's a lot of people. Jesus. That's a ton. It, I mean, <laughs> I was one of them, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a long podcast. Yeah, they, all their set reviews are super long. Yeah. But, I mean, well worth the listen if you, if you want to go that deep. Anyway, I, I got sidetracked. Uh, yeah, if you want to get in contact with us, you can send us an email. Our address is eastwestdraftcast at gmail.com. You can look us up on Facebook if you go to facebook.com backslash EWDraftCast, or you can just like search for our name on there and you'll find us. Uh, we have Twitter accounts. My Twitter handle is at EWDraftCast. Jeff, what is your Twitter handle? At Jeff EWDC. Yeah, buddy. It stands for East West DraftCast. I mean, we really hammer it home with the abbreviation and the... The words in the name. The words. The words. Yep. Did I forget anything? I've talked about the website already. You can see my deck list from the Grand Prix on there, as well as some other stuff. Jeff posted a very nice ode to Gregory. Yeah. Good job, a, Greg. A fun photo of me and it looks like Spencer playing Magic. Yeah, that was I think GP San Diego. I stole it from Facebook. Nice. I don't think I'm. Am I forgetting anything, Jeff? I think that's it. Uh, yeah. I think that's it. All I gotta say is, look out, Pro Tour Montreal, I'm coming for you. I'm excited. I'm gonna be as prepared as possible for it. Awesome. Draftcast out. That was a terrible sign-off by me. <laughs> Your draftcast was fine. I should have kept talking and said something else. <laughs> can I? Can we just keep talking? Can I just be all like... Can I just be all like... Just say draftcast out one more time so I don't feel like such an idiot Draftcast out thank you no problem i might use that 